Hi guys, it's Laura, and I have the trigger warnings for this episode. We are putting warnings on for discussion of depression, mental illness, and suicide, as well as discussion of degradation of women, and a brief mention of sexual imagery. So please take care of yourselves and enjoy the episode. So long, crumbum. Hey look, it's a butterfly. butterfly. Um, welcome to Reading Rainbow. <laughs> yeah, the podcast where we read books that we're supposed to read in high school and middle school and discuss maybe why we had to read them and our own opinions on them, which are the most interesting opinions you'll probably ever hear. <laughs> ever in the whole wide world. And we're also very credible sources, you know? Oh, yeah. Incredible and credible. Both. Yep. In yep. both senses. Yep. Um... I'm tired. Oh. All throughout the news, um, Colorado was supposed to get hit by, like, a huge snowstorm. And there was, like, headlines like, oh, it's going to be the worst storm in Denver since 1885. They're going to get 48 inches. And you'll, you know, and so then you go to the grocery store and people are, like, frenzy shopping. Yes. And everything. People were like, it's going to start Thursday. Then they're like, it's going to start Friday. And then they're like, it's going to start Saturday morning. And then you're going to get stuck in your house. And never leave. Exactly. And then it didn't start until Saturday mid-morning. Wow. And then it stopped. And then it snowed a little bit in the night, and then it stopped. And then it snowed a little bit this morning. But, like, mm-hmm. it's not that bad. I think I'm exhausted from anticipating. And I also, like, changed a lot of plans because yeah. I was anticipating snow. Like, we were supposed to go to my brother's house to play board games. But then they're like, no, we'll die. And I was like, fair <laughs> enough. But, so I think it's just been, like, I've... I didn't realize until now and after the weekend has already happened that I was like anticipating doom. All of that. You're doomed. Yeah, I was anticipating freaking snow Magitten, but yeah. it's nothing. Yeah, that does sound exhausting. Um, and I'm sure everybody just talks about it in circles and stuff. Pretty, yeah, and especially as a barista, like I know people like baristas complain about having the same conversations every single day and they're like mm-hmm. oh there's nothing original but it's also not the barista's job to think of something original to talk about because yeah. if i like see if i'm seeing like 20 customers a day i'm not gonna mm-hmm. be like let's have an original conversation with all of them i'm like no hey how are you welcome in ah oh, snow yeah. right oh it's friday weekend blah blah, blah. like the same thing oh every time so. i do the same i mean in my job because i have to explain yeah. the same things about our clinic over and over but mm-hmm. I remember when we were at our college, I did private college week or whatever. So I helped out admissions every day. And they made the same goddamn jokes every day. Um, mm-hmm. And it drove me nuts. They had this, like, drawing. And they every single day, they were like, and you've won free tuition. Just kidding. I hated it. <laughs> oh, that's so mean. And we had to laugh every time. <laughs> I hated it. Um, Yeah, that sounds cruel. Um, This month we read Catcher in the Rye by J.D. Salinger. Salinger. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Which one is it? Which one is it? Oh, I don't know. (laughs) I I think it's Salinger. Whatever it is. Whatever. And I remember last... At the end of the last episode, when we mentioned it, Carmen was like, Oh, that book really, really sucks, sucks, sucks so bad. And I do agree... 
I'm jumping a little ahead mm-hmm. here and passing my judgments, but like it it wasn't it wasn't my favorite book, but I also wasn't it wasn't my least favorite, you know? I didn't think yeah. it was that bad. No, I agree though. I think it's polarizing though because on Goodreads, I can you can see your friends' ratings, and all my friends have rated it five stars, and there's like oh. four people that have done that, and I am like, what? All of you? Every and I was talking one. to my BFF Harper, mm-hmm. uh, and she said, "Oh, I love that book," and I was like, "Hang on, hang on, Wh- why? <laughs> Tell me more." Um, so we'll get into our ratings later, but I, it's yeah. surprising because I have a very mixed review. I would say. Uh huh. I did have to read this in high school, in uh, sophomore year, where it's just mm. the same year as that teacher who told us about, that every book has, like, the six same, the same six themes or something. You're right, from, like, House on Mango Where, Street. Escape and Return. Uh, the Duality of Man. Yeah, yeah of course. Um, yeah, so the same guy, and I don't remember a lick, absolutely <laughs> nothing, a single thing about what we talked about in this book, but I do remember that I hated it. But I also just had an inferiority complex, as Holden Caulfield would say, because I just thought maybe I'm too stupid to like it. <laughs> mm, how sad. Yeah. Believe in yourself. You know what I just realized? Is like mm. when I was 15, you were 12. All right, well, That's let's not think about it. Bizarre. That's bizarre. I know. <laughs> I was I see those like posts on not to not to equate us to lovers but like I see us I see those Insta- or those Reddit posts where they're just like my husband always says that he wanted to he wished he'd met me in high school but when he was in high school I was fucking like I was in kindergarten or something and I'm like oh wow but love is love but I'm also like dang right right yeah that's just weird to me like I would have no. never talked to you. <laughs> well, that's rude. You don't know. I was a pretty... Uh, I'm an old soul. I was pretty really cool 12 No, well, I would have had no opportunity, but also been like, 12-year-old? Okay. You. You. Seventh grade. Yeah, I wouldn't have talked to me either. Tenth grade. I forgive you. Yeah. I future forgive you. Thank no, you. No, I past forgive you. That's what I meant to say. Thank you, too. <laughs> but you know what? I future forgive you for all future... Yeah, I was like, I'm not giving back that forgiveness, by the way. I'm going to put that towards something else. I'm going to downpay me. No, hey, you forgave me that one time during that episode. <laughs> did you have to read this? Um, yeah. Of course, no. I never did. I don't even know someone it like in my school that had to read it. Um, and I think I always just get it confused with where the Redfern grows, which is the one where, spoiler alert, the dog dies. And I only know that because I didn't even have to read that one well. either. But like, I just remember everyone's like, yeah, where the Redfern grows, like... Dog dead, so sad. Mm. And I guess I was like, also, Catcher in the Rye, dead dog? But, no, I didn't have to read this in high school. Or mm-hmm. any school of my entire life. Did you have to read ever in your <laughs> It doesn't really seem like it at this point. No. <laughs> didn't. Nope. Nope. Did you read Roman Juliet? No, because I read that one when I was in Korea in college, when I was taking an English language drama class in Korea. Interesting. Anyways, thing, something I didn't know about, because I've definitely heard Catcher in the Rye, like I've heard the title tossed around, even if I didn't know anyone who had to read it in school. I did know that mm-hmm. it was like a classic piece of literature. Yeah. Um, But apparently it's so classic that... Mark David Chapman, the guy who shot singer-songwriter John Le- uh, John I was about to say John Legend, but John Legend is alive and like, well. Hang on. <laughs> He's alive and well, but John Lennon, who died in December 1980, um, his assassin, uh, what's it called? Is it an assassin? 
When you shoot someone? Yeah. Like, what's yeah. John Wilkes Booth? Is he an assassin? I think he was assassin. Murderer. A bang bang man. Anyway, uh, this... Sure, m- <laughs> let's go with that. Let's all switch to that. <laughs> so, Mark David Chapman was obsessed with the book, and, yeah. and I quote, his main motive was his frustration with Lennon's lifestyle and public statements, as well as delusions he suffered related to Holden Caulfield. Well, so while Fahrenheit 451 had the whole 9-11 thing, this book has a bang-bang man associated with it, and is apparently citing yeah. Holden Caulfield as his inspiration, which is not a very good look. But No, yeah, I wonder how J.D. felt about that. Um, yeah, J.D. also had some interesting opinions. So Holden, in the book, notoriously, he hates movies, he hates how fake they are, um, can't stand them. And J.D. Salinger actually refused the movie rights to make this book. Like, he did not want this book to be made into a movie. So a lot of people thought, oh, is it because he hates movies too? (gasps) Connecting the dots. And he's like, you didn't connect shit. (laughs) He just didn't want to. The only theater I want to write for is the little marvelous one inside the individual reader's mind. Quote by J.D. Salinger. So he was just pretentious as hell. Yeah, goddamn. My art is pure. Which, another book fact, though, actually, I didn't know this until two minutes ago, <laughs> that this book was partially published in serial form at first. And that makes a lot of sense, because it is it is a lot of <laughs> events in like, succession. Like vignette, vignettes? <laughs> yeah, the vignettes. Like, a lot of vignettes <laughs> in a row. Yeah, a lot of um, vinaigrettes in a row. Yeah. <laughs> and it was only published together in 1951. Well, for those of you who, like me, had never heard of this book and didn't know what it was about, allow me to read you. Have never read a book? Have never ever read a book just like me. Perhaps. Um, (laughs) Let me read you the Goodreads blurb, which is actually pretty long, so we'll see. Oh, gosh. Ready? Okay. (laughs) I'm asking myself. Ready me? Yeah. The hero narrator of The Catcher in the Rye is an ancient child of 16. <laughs> oh, a native New Yorker named Holden Caulfield. Through circumstances that tend to preclude adult secondhand description, uh, he leaves his prep school in Pennsylvania and goes underground in New York City for three days. The boy himself is at once too simple and too complex for us to make any final comment about him or his story. Perhaps the safest thing we can say about Holden is that he was born in a world not just strongly attracted to beauty, but almost hopelessly impaled on it. There are many voices in this novel. Children's voices, adult voices, underground voices, but Holden's voice is the most eloquent of all. Transcending his own vernacular, yet remaining marvelously faithful to it, he issues a perfectly articulated cry of mixed pain and pleasure. However, like most lovers and clowns and poets of the higher orders, he keeps most of the pain to and for himself. The pleasure he gives away, or sets aside, with all his heart, uh, it is there for the reader who can handle it to keep. What the hell? Okay, first of all, ancient child. And second of all, underground in... Does he really go underground? Are they just... What's, is that like a euphemism? Where, where are these underground voices coming from? Who was speaking Did he just? Does he just mean like the underbelly of like surface level New York City? Or does he, he mean like he does not the mole people? with the sewer people. <laughs> yeah. Well, but honestly, I think that summary is a pretty... Has a, it gives you a pretty good idea of what it is like 
to read the book because it's just full of like yeah. a bunch of words and a bunch of like juxtaposing contradictions. Yeah, contradictions and then like a little pretentious. That's it's like okay, the last line, it's... the last line. <laughs> okay. It okay. is there for readers who can handle it to keep. Who can handle what? it? Back off. You don't know me. What? See, this is why I have the inferiority complex. Yeah, what the heck? Okay, well, let's buckle up. Here's my version of events in the book. Here we go. Okay, so Holden Caulfield is a 16-year-old boy who his family's rich, so he's been to a lot of private high schools. Um, He's been kicked out of a lot because he is um, crusty. doesn't apply himself, I guess, in his classes, except for English. He is very cynical. He sees all your flaws in... He sees them in people and a lot of things in society, but he has like a soft side for his little sister and for kids in general. Mm-hmm. So at the beginning of the novel, he leaves his school because he's been he's going to be expelled, and he decides to go home, but not really. He goes home to New York, but he just kind of like walks around and does stuff because he has the money to. He stays in a hotel, uh, goes to a nightclub. He visits his teacher, which is a very negative experience. He sees his old girlfriend and a friend and a buddy. Uh, visits his sister in his house, <laughs> goes to a museum. He also then eventually tries to run away from it all, but his sister catches him, and she he takes her to the merry-go-round. And that's the end of the plot. But I didn't tell you, this is actually mm-hmm. a frame story. Dun-dun-dun. Because dun, he's dun, actually dun. in a mental hospital. So at the beginning and the end, he's talking about being in a mental hospital, and he's just telling the story to whoever. There's nothing like a good old frame story where you're just like, oh. and that, readers was a story of how I got here today in my mental institution. What do you mean there's nothing like it? What do you mean? There's no, I mean, it, I think it just like, it like that always draws me in. That's like a component that like, okay. um, I was like, oh, it's a, if it's a frame story, and as long as it's not too convoluted at Frankenstein, mm-hmm. um, if it's a simple mm. frame story, I'm usually like, ooh, yes. I like it and don't like it. I mean, it can be, it can be interesting, but I always... Like, well, if you're standing here telling me the story, you already mm. have information about how it's going to end. You yeah. Know? You have Santa Claus 3 or Santa Claus 2 or something. I think it's like Santa Claus's wife is starts the story and ends the story. Or maybe I'm making it all up. But basically, Well, that's not Santa Claus purpose. 2 for sure. Because it's well, a baby. So it must be Santa Claus 3. Well, okay, so Santa Claus 3 is the one with Jack Frost in it. Yep. I have to say Santa, the Santa Claus was probably my favorite. Christmas movie as a kid. I think that I saw Santa Claus 2 first, and then I saw the Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. So I'm always more fond of the second one because that was the first one I ever saw. And I do like the part where, like, he goes to, a like, I think a parent-teacher conference yeah. meeting or, like, a parent-teacher mm-hmm. party. And he, like, goes in yep. there and he's like, oh, hey, guys, yeah. don't forget when I say fire! And, like, he just stands there and is laughing, and everyone else is like, that wasn't funny. But I think oh that's God. funny. I like this scene. Well, now we're totally off topic. I like the scene <laughs> where he gives all of the teachers gifts from their childhood. Yeah. And they get super excited. That always that just warms my, my little heart. <laughs> Actually, this brings us, does, does bring us back to the book, because Holden Caulfield, all this, all this, most of the events are happening around Christmas. Boom. Boom. Bet you Segway. didn't know that, readers, listeners, yeah. people. Got ya! <laughs> um, well, let's move right on into unanswered questiones. Woohoo. Um, speaking of J.D. Salinger, like, refusing any movie rights or whatever the crap, I want to know, yep. 
if any of the voices stuck out to you or gave you an impression of like what you would have for the Dreamcast, I listened to it on YouTube because I couldn't, it's like impossible to find an audio Uh recording of it. I don't know why, but some good people of YouTube have illegally read it aloud and published it there. So Mm -hmm. the version that I was listening to, the voice sounded like a lot like Bill Burr. So that's, if you know who Bill Burr is, but nope. Sorry. He's got, but he's from New Jersey, and so he's just got like a really New Jersey accent. And so that's the way I imagine like holding Caulfield the entire time. But then also, the YouTube version that I was listening to stopped at chapter 12, and I didn't know that it went longer than that. <laughs> I thought that it stopped after he like paid for the prostitute and then like didn't have what? sex with the prostitute. And I thought it ended there. And then I looked up on like, Schmoop or Sparkle or whatever it's called, Spark Notes. Yeah. And spook then the notes. Uh, Spook Notes, <laughs> you know. Um, and then they're like, yeah, in chapter 27, I'm like, oh shit, there's like more than 12 chapters? God damn yeah. it. So then oh I find God. a different version, and the other version, he sounded like a real wimp. So I'm more inclined to say he's like a Bill Burr, like hardcore New Jersey kind of person. Yeah. But I didn't, did any, did, were there any distinct voices for you? No, I mean, well, I guess he, so he describes his, like, friends in school a lot, and there's just a bunch of other boys. Mm-hmm. Um, so, really, I just imagined the whole cast of the Dead Poet Society, and I can't even tell you which one is which. Just a bunch of dudes all of them. in school. <laughs> and that's it. That's all I've got, is Holden Caulfield is all of the cast from Dead Poet Society. Wonderful. Any one of them. Honestly, he yeah. is. He's a versatile man, like the... Goodreads blurb said he's complex and yet simple. He's simple, too simple and too complex. Yeah. God. <laughs> That's how I feel most of the time. My questions. Um, okay, so Holden asks this question in the book like five million times. Um, where did the ducks go in wintertime? I want to know why he doesn't know. Like, do has they, have they just not figured out migration yet? Like, where does, where, where does he imagine they go? Like, where does, what does he think ducks do? When it's winter, yeah, they go to Florida, somewhere else. They go south, right? Isn't that where ducks go? <laughs> Isn't that where all the birds go? <laughs> That's what so, I thought. I feel like I have the answer, but Holden asked it so many times. So I'm like, maybe I don't. You know what? I think that is too simple. Side, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I have a question. Like, who? How does he come across like in person? Because he. Kind of, he lies very well. Like, lies and stories fall mm-hmm. off his tongue very quickly. But there are a lot of times where he's talking to his friend or his ex his ex, or, but they kind of often say, stop yelling. And he says, I'm not yelling. And he's so casual and so, like, um, stream of consciousness in this book that it's easy to take it for granted where he's like, no, I'm not yelling. But if yeah. they're saying that so often, then obviously he is yelling. So it makes me wonder, like, yeah, how, how good of, at lying is he really? Can people tell? Like, how does it come across when he's talking, if he's yelling all the time? Because I think it's hinted a lot that he is very, you know, mentally ill and he's dealing with, I don't, I don't, we don't want to diagnose him or anything, but depression and stuff like that. Um, Yeah, he's definitely dealing with depression. depression. I mean, he says it to himself. And then you also hear about all these, like, traumatic events he's learned to cope with. Oh, yeah. Like, in ways that, I don't know, are healthy, but... 
Right, because he and he when he mentions his younger brother Aldi dying, who obviously he loved a lot, the night after he says, "I just broke all the windows in the car. Like I just had to. You know, I get crazy like that sometimes." He really brushes it off, but you know, you're like, "No, no, wait." <laughs> wait, <laughs> you on. had like a yeah, you went into a blind rage and like broke all the freaking windows. So I wonder if he thinks he's good at lying and he thinks he can like project all these things. But I just wonder, you know, like really how. How can, can people tell what's going on with it? Yeah, like, given um, that we have this unreliable narrator, how is he engaging with the world, like, from a more third-party point of view? Yeah, like, objectively, what is, how is he on the outside? I, w- I wish we had a bit of that, but I get that that's kind of the, the thing point. about this book is yeah. that we only have his perspective to, to rely on. Yeah, and I will say, like, even in the readings and recordings that I listen to, it's the mm-hmm. same way, like, um the tone of voice that the reader uses, it's super nonchalant. Where he's just like, mm-hmm. and that's just the way I am. That's just the way how things goes. Right. Or he he turns away from stuff all the time. He was like, but that got me depressed, so I stopped thinking about it. Yep. That. And as a reader, you're like, no, wait, go back. <laughs> yeah, so that is a question that's raised due to the nature of the, the unreliable narrator. I don't know if it's a trope or technique or, or what, but I have a next question if you're ready. Yeah. Hit me. What is the song... <laughs> about Catcher in the Rye that they're talking about. Because it's, you know, it's the title. Yeah. Um, and his so this is a conversation between him and his sister. And his sister's like, well, what do you even want to do with your life? And I'm like, oh, that's the big question. Yeah. <laughs> Calm down, Phoebe. And Caulfield is like, you know, I would be kind of like the Catcher in the Rye in that song. And she's like, that's not how the song goes. And he's like, no, but you don't get it. Like, I would be the one... That what protects kids from falling over the edge or something? I don't that's even. My yeah, that's understanding. I just want to know: is this like a well-known song? Like, do I've never heard. <laughs> Again, am I just not cultured enough to like have heard this song before? Um, so, is it made up? Okay, I'm looking it up. Catcher in the Rye song lyrics: Guns and Roses, Catcher in the Rye. When all is said and done, we're not the only ones who look at life this way. That's what the old folks say. But every time I'd see them, makes me wish I had a gun. Well, that's not great. Wait, when was that song written? It was written in. Hold on. Because Guns and Roses is fairly. I know that's new. Okay, wait. So this one says, "Come and throw the rye" is a poem. Written in ni- in 1782 by Robert Burns, um, the words are put to the melody of the Scottish minstrel "Come on, fray the town." Okay, the uh, classic uh, Scottish minstrel. You know, oh, you know, <laughs> you know the minstrel. <laughs> but it looks like um, it said the title of the novel, "The Catcher in the Rye" by what's his face, comes from the poem's name. Holden Caulfield, the protagonist, misinterprets a part of this poem to mean "if a body catch a body" rather than "if a body meet a body." He keeps picturing children playing in a field of rye near the edge of a cliff and him catching them when they start to fall off. How sad. Oh. Wow. Okay, well, okay, but here's what it says. While the original poem is already full of sexual imagery, an alternative version makes this more explicit. It has a different chorus referring to a phallic ston o ston and graith. I don't know these words. What? Roughly, <laughs> which is roughly an erection of astonishing size. Wow. Kiss is replaced by the F word, which I shan't say, even though I did say erection earlier. And Jenny's quote unquote thing is stanza four, in stanza four is identified as her C word, which I'm also not going to say. What? Okay, wait, 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 wait. Well, that's weird. Yeah. Okay. Well, apparently... We, we did get our answer. Wikipedia answered and said that Catcher in the Rye 
comes from a, the poem and Holden Caulfield in, misinterprets a part of the poem because he thought it said, if a body catch a body, but apparently it originally says, if a body meet a body. I don't know what that means either. Wow. Well, thank you for searching for that answer for my question. Um, and I'm not certain I feel more satisfied. Yeah, no, I think I'm just more confused, but uh, yeah, there you go. Okay, I had a question. Did you feel bad for Holden? Because I did not. I found him, oh. like, kind of irritating. Uh, and, of course, this book was written in the 1950s. Or, you know, before that. Mm-hmm. But it was, like, strung together and presented in the 1950s. And stuff was different back then. Not better. But, like, more widely accepted. And, obviously, mm-hmm. like, the male gaze was something that wasn't really explored or seen as problematic. But mm-hmm. I find a lot of issue where he's going around and talking to all these girls and going on dates. And, like... He buys a prostitute named Sunny, and then he's always commenting, mm-hmm. like, these girls are so stupid, and they make me depressed. Why aren't they making me happy? And I'm just like, mm-hmm. dude, it's not their job to make you happy. So maybe no. yeah. seek answers for yourself. But mm-hmm. that was my question. Yeah, did you, like, find him to be a sympathetic character? Yeah, I say, I would say I did. Yes, I do understand, yeah, there's all those problematic views he has and, like, not treating... He doesn't He doesn't really treat women like that great. Mm-hmm. Um I do still, I mean, he's 16, you know, obviously losing his brother had a bit of effect on him and he didn't really get the help he needed, it sounds like. I mean, he's like, maybe had some good relationships with his teachers, but he's changed so many Mm -hmm. times and they just expel him when his grades are low instead of really, like nowadays you might reach out and find out what's going on with the student and, you know, meet them where they are. Yeah. You know, give them all that support. Um, Doesn't sound like he's really connected well with his family. He mentions his mom is not doing super well with it too so i do yeah i feel that sad in the sense that yeah he's maybe there's toxic masculinity at play where maybe he doesn't think like uh that he can talk about his feelings or like doesn't feel comfortable uh, or like that's not even a coping mechanism he'd even like turn to right yeah like there's that there's that layer there's the layer of like you know that's mental health care is not really normalized there's a lot of stigma around that maybe Mm -hmm. yeah because i mean like listen he goes off to new york city for days and no one checks on him. I don't feel like he's very cared for. And maybe he isn't because he's not a reliable narrator. Maybe there are supports that we're not seeing. Yeah. Um. So I, in that respect, yeah, I think I did, I did sympathize with him. Mm. In the sense that he was, there's obviously, there's care he needs and he's not getting. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I, and I do understand. And like, that was a huge, again, we're jumping ahead of ourselves, but I feel like one of the intended takeaways is like, having a character who's dealing with mental illness or is neurodivergent mm-hmm. in some way. And so, like, that was a huge thing. Like I said, I, like I said, you don't think the school would be like, hey, your child left last night. Where, is he with you? <laughs> I thought, so he got expelled because he he misplaced the fencing equipment. And then they were like, go home. And then he was like, okay, I will go home, but I'm not going to tell my parents. Mm-hmm. And so then... And I'll stay out on the streets and be living it up until break comes around and then it'll be natural mm-hmm. for me to go home and then I'll just never go back. Like, I thought that was his plan. Well, I don't think he was expelled just because for, for getting the fencing equipment. I think that was still, they were like mad at him. But he, yeah. he was being expelled because he was failing all his classes. Oh, yeah, that too. So Holden knew he was being expelled mm-hmm. and he knew his that the school was going to send home a letter to tell his parents of this so that he was going to get kicked out. But he knew yeah. that the letter wasn't home yet. And he knew then the soonest after the letter that he could be expected home was like the next day. So he thought, um, yeah, you're right. Between yeah. now and then, I'm unaccountable. But I still think the school should know 
would or would be concerned should be concerned that he's off the grounds that he's like yeah not reporting anywhere because what do you do when it's the weekend and you don't have classes and you've been expelled out of school you know but i feel like it's like when you have like this is i'm not a child of divorce so i don't know this but like yeah. one of those tropes you always hear about like kids who have parents who are divorced they were like, yeah, I told my mom I was staying at my dad's house. My dad, I was staying at my mom's house. And then I went and I went to a party. Like, right, yeah. So I feel like it was like yeah. that with his school and yeah. with his parents. And I guess it is the weekend at a boarding school. So it's not like the, I don't know, the school monitors are like checking on yeah. coming home or not. I don't know how boarding school works. I don't know. If you know how boarding school works, that. write in. Tell us how Yeah. anyone is held accountable for anything there. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, do you have any more unanswered questions? Um, oh, yeah. I had one just in general. Um, and I guess we've talked about this uh, a couple times now, but I guess my question is, what do you think about his mental illness? Like, not and like it's not that we want to diagnose or anything. Um, just like, mm-hmm. what have you noticed? Like, what's going on with him? Yeah. In the story. Um, yeah, I, I don't think I know enough about mental illness at all, let alone, like, his Mm -hmm. symptoms or anything. But it sounds like he's just depressed and was not given, like, great coping mechanisms to deal with all the trauma Mm -hmm. that he has survived and experienced. Mm -hmm. So, like, to me, it's kind of just, like, him acting out in, like, especially, like, physical ways and then finding Mm -hmm. escapism mentally. Like, for example, when he... um, after he buys the prostitute whose name is Sonny, and then the pimp comes, and I don't remember the pimp's name, and they steal his mm-hmm. money. Um, Maurice. <laughs> he, they, like, beat him up, or, like, Maurice beats him up a little bit. Yes. But then Holden is like, and then I walk around, and I imagine that I've been shot in the side uh, mm-hmm. by a bullet, and I'm bleeding out. And I keep doing that all the way until I get to the train station, and, like, this is what I've told myself in my mind. I know it's not true, but this is what I'm imagining. And so I, I think for him, that's escapism. And that's, like, also a way for him to avoid... I mean, I don't know if he has any shame about, like, buying the prostitute. But he's obviously, yeah. like, suppressing some emotion in reaction to that event that just happened. Yeah. I noticed he says when he crosses the street, he feels very, like, scared and very unsafe. Mm-hmm. So what he does is he talks to his brother, Ali. He says, I have to do it. I know it doesn't really matter, but I have to do it until I get to the sidewalk and then I'm safe. Um, and that to me is like, uh, I mean, uh, yeah, another symptom, but it, it almost sounds to me like a compulsion, like an OCD where compulsions, you know, are things you do in a sense, it's something you do that makes you feel safer to some danger. Um, mm-hmm. even knowing it's not really related to the danger. But, and like, just like OCD, there's a spectrum of like symptoms. So mm-hmm. maybe you don't check off. I don't know how one gets diagnosed with OCD, but maybe it's like, right. oh, you just don't make the cut. Maybe it's, you know, like a BuzzFeed I mean, horoscope thing where you're like, well, you didn't check enough boxes, so you're not, you're, <laughs> you don't make the cut for OCD if you had checked one more box. Oh, and like the lying thing. Um, he lies a lot. Mm, compulsory he, lying. Yeah, That's compulsory. always fun. Yeah, and he, I mean, it is a way to kind of protect himself, like not giving away real information. Mm-hmm. But, um, and it, I mean, it also just gets him through like, social situations like where people might ask questions he can like he kind of does it to like just get through it and like without scrutiny but yeah um, uh, i mean as someone who is an a self-diagnosed compulsive liar sometimes it's just fun yeah well i think we had a great discussion about 
whatever the fuck we discussed. I don't know. I was like, really? <laughs> um, uh, let's finally, I mean, I feel like I've been hinting at it with my answers this entire time, but let's go yeah. to intended takeaways and judgments. It's judging time. Judgments. We should actually make, just kidding. I would think that would terrify our listeners if we actually made that Oh, if we made like a sound bite? Yeah. Oh, that'd be amazing. It'd probably terrify you. I would be terrified, but it'd also be titillated. You know? Yeah. Really? I can see that for you. I can't empathize, but... <laughs> You're like, yes, really, I could see you titillated. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> um. Anyways, here's what I think. I think the intended takeaways were... To see this as a coming-of-age story, maybe mental health, mm-hmm. maybe an introduction into stream of conscious stream of consciousness writing. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think like so. Obviously, a big takeaway just teaching it in schools is teaching the use of an unreliable narrator because you um, are told kind of right away that he is an unreliable narrator, so you yeah. know to, I mean, theoretically, know to look for. Or to question things he says. Just so how he controls the narrative, you know, to wonder, like, when is he telling the whole truth? Because he tells you at the beginning he's a liar. Just as readers, we need to, like, when you're, like, as a student in class, you have to learn to question and to Constant think about vigilance. Constant vigilance, yes. Be vigilant about where the information is coming from. Yeah, another takeaway judgment is, like, neurodivergence. I hesitate to say well done. I think the characterization is fairly, it's good, it's consistent. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, and it's it's very it's a very sound character. Like it doesn't sound it doesn't feel like a trope. Like it feels it does mm-hmm. feel real. But it's not as if the book is really like promoting mental health care, which I guess is what we expect from media these days. Like we don't expect a neutral. I mean, it depends, because if you're looking for representation, you kind of want the more neutral to po- neutral to positive. Or you want the positive things where it's about reducing stigma and like making people educate themselves. Anyway, so that is not what this book is. No. because um, obviously he's very you know, he feels or is unsupported. It's not like it's shedding light on depression and anxiety and teaching us to think more critically about it. You yeah. know, it's just, I don't feel like that's part of the message. I know. Well, I don't even know what he even, what does right. he learn in the end? Yeah. Not that he has think- to, but like when I try, when I'm trying to think about what, I, why a school teacher would want me to read this and what I would supposed, what I was yeah. supposed to take away from it. Like, I don't even know. I agree. There's not like, uh, which one of my gripes was that it's not there's not a lot of rising falling action like mm-hmm. climax type structure to it which like books don't need to have but that sure. kind of yeah it but it does give you like structure and guidance as to like what to expect from the story and it was a little difficult to yeah tell what was important and not without it and I I guess like if so if we're putting it in, like kind of like you said in the frame of a um, coming of age story it does chronicle how he's like coming out of school and he's like trying all these things like you know hiring the prostitute and trying to like be alone in new york city the news he's is still in the mental hospital so it's kind of i don't know it's not like oh i did he i hit a wall and i had a breakdown and now i'm getting the care i need it's not like that it's just like and this is where i am now um, yeah well like i feel like that's the story you know i feel like that's all coming of age things you know okay. like that's just, and again like there doesn't have to be a lesson but i think like I don't even know. I don't understand. Yeah. I also don't necessarily always see the point of coming of age stories. Yeah. Only because they're not really, they really are like character driven rather than plot mm-hmm. sla- plot driven because, yeah, there's not a lot of rising action, falling action. Like, I think the same thing with, uh, if you saw the movie Lady Bird, 
Yeah. Like, that's another one where just a series of events happens. And, like, right, like, I guess you could say the climax is her going away to college. But even after she arrives, then she has that time where she, like, gets too drunk and then, like, wakes up and calls her mom. And then it ends like that. Where it's, like, not what we expect in, like, the Western plot where, again, it's, like, uh, introduction of characters and setting and blah, blah, blah. And then we have the rising action. We hit our climax. Mm -hmm. And then we have our falling action resolution kind of stuff and coming of age stories just tend not to be that way yeah i guess another takeaway i had is that a big theme of the book i think is loss of innocence which goes with hand with Mm -hmm. the coming of age thing but he just like he sees things in the world like you know he is very protective of kids and protective of things that are beautiful and like innocent and he hates like hypocrites he hates people that um and anything or anyone that like mars the idea of like being pure and innocent mm-hmm. but that like includes women not being pure and innocent and it's like con- you know so yeah it's not like i'm not saying oh he's like in the right for this it's that it's part of his character is that he believes really that there's pureness and there's not and that he can like and he can distinguish it and that he like, is the gatekeeper yeah i like after talking about this i'm like you know what? Holden is definitely a type four on the Enneagram. He's an individualist. He's a romantic. <laughs> yeah. And he finds beauty in sad things. And I'm like, oh sure. my gosh. But whatever. Mm-hmm. He claims to be very annoyed by people all the time. Like he talks about his like his not his not roommate and his roommate. He's like, oh, they're slob. This guy's a slob. But he keeps going on later in the book about people he used to know. And he talks about like 20 people he knew. And I am not exaggerating. I swear. I swear to <sighs> God. I think it just goes to show that he is like, he is fairly observant and he remembers things about people, even though when even when he tries to distance himself by saying like, oh well, I don't like them, like maybe it's him protecting himself and being like, well, if I don't like them, then it doesn't matter if they like me or not. Yeah, no, I I found it really annoying because he hates hypocrites, but he is a hypocrite himself. Yes. No, yeah. So he, yeah, puts people in these boxes of like pure or like phony, and that's it, I guess. Um, those are my takeaways judgments. Um, yeah. well, let's move on to ratings. What do you rate this out of 10, Laura? I do a six because I hmm. still didn't enjoy it. it was very, I found it very repetitive. It meanders a lot. But yeah, like I said, I think the characterization was consistent and the structure worked for the story that he was trying to tell. I do wish that like the beginning and the end, you know, him being in the hospital was a bit more grounded had a bit more substance to it but um but oh well but oh well, you know but oh well so that's my six all right i'm giving it a three out of ten that's right maybe yeah. this might be our greatest disparity rating of the yeah. season we'll see mm. we'll but see. and the i think the only other book i've given a three is great gatsby and i find yeah. this to be like it's the great gatsby but like inverse great gatsby <laughs> Because in Great Gatsby, we were like, oh, Nick, stop. Like, it's your perspective. We want to know about you. Stop Mm -hmm. talking about Gatsby. But in this one, I'm like, Holden, I don't care about you. Shut up. Talk about something Mm -hmm. else besides yourself. Um, I do understand, like, I think there's a lot of nuance in it, especially, again, when you, because this is, this coming of age story is also kind of like a character study for Holden Caulfield. Mm-hmm. I think there is a lot of nuance in it, but I really just wasn't here for it. Well, then let's move on to recommendations. Oh, I want to oh, yeah. say the segue, but that's okay. <laughs> oh, no, go say it, say it, say it, say it, say it. And now we're doing recommendations. Yeah! 
would you recommend based on this book? Um, I think since we identified it as a coming of age and we identified mental health as like one of the main themes of the book, yeah. I'm going to go back and do a callback to our very own podcast and do a Mega Shape Space by Wendy Mass. Or I have a second recommendation, um, and it's called Hidden Valley Road by Robert Kolker. And it is mm-hmm. a nonfiction book about a family of 12. Half of the family gets diagnosed with schizophrenia. Mm-hmm. And it's, again, nonfiction, and it's actually set in Colorado Springs, my hometown. Mm. So it's really interesting to hear about, like, landmarks and like, this family living in the town that I currently live in. But it also is, like, I'm not going to lie, it doesn't, I'm not saying it's really doing any favors for people who are diagnosed with schizophrenia. Like, it paints uh, kind of a scary picture. Mm -hmm. Um, But it does cover the history of how schizophrenia was treated and diagnosed and how the study of it has developed over time. So I do think that's interesting. So... Those are the two books. Okay. What would you recommend, Laura? I would recommend Educated by Tara Westover. I think it's, to me, calls to the unreliable narrator thing because she tells a lot of story about her family and all of her siblings, but she acknowledges a lot of the times where they remember things differently, Mm -hmm. um, where they remember just, like, the order of events or they just don't remember certain parts of it and they disagree. I won't give away too much, but it was a very... I liked that memoir a lot. Nice. Well, and what have you been reading? What are you currently reading right now? Currently reading, I'm going to hold it in my hands, City of Lies by Sam Hawk. And this one, actually, I I was interested in it because the main character, it's historical fantasy and the main character has OCD. And I thought it was going to be a fun, quick, like, YA read, something exciting. And then it arrives and it's 600 pages. <laughs> and it's a little bit thicker than I thought it would be. But... I have also, like, read 400 of it in, like, four days. So <laughs> I'm still reading Anna Karenina, but I am not on schedule anymore, and that's okay. I'm in the middle of part three. Oh, it's about this guy, one of the guys. So, you know, it's about, like, a, a love affair. And sure. the guy who is not the cuckold, he's, like, <laughs> just thinking about his life. <laughs> and I'm like, Great. you are not, you are very not interesting. But thank you <laughs> for sharing. Wow, sounds like, yeah, sounds like the second book of the Twilight Saga, New Moon. Sorry, but that's definitely the most boring book of the series. Oh, I was, I was like, but I was like, no one's cuckold in Twilight. No, it's no. I feel like well, Jacob's no, like, kind of cuckolded, but then he. I mean, no, no, I mean, not like triangle, not the, but yeah, not the exact definition. Bella of and Edward right. weren't married; they broke yeah. up, and then he. Well, eh. Yeah. Okay. By all technicalities, no cuckolds were had, but... <laughs> no cuckolds were had. What are you reading? <laughs> uh, um, well, we are both reading um, The Midnight Library by Matt Haig. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I will say for that one, it also started out kind of slow, but now I, like, it is... Readability for me on that one is actually pretty good, mm-hmm. which doesn't, like, I want to just really emphasize to listeners that that is does not speak to the writer or the writing or the content mm-hmm. or anything that's just like me as a person like some books for some reason i can concentrate yeah. with and some books i can't and that can is also affected by my mood i'm listening to beloved by tony morrison and then i am still reading third month in a row white fragility by robin d'angelo oh, nice. uh yesterday i thought i was like 
I spent some time reading it. I was like, oh, I cranked out a lot. Like, way to go me. But I did that page check thing and I had read like five pages and I was like, oh, but we just taken our sweet, sweet time and that's yep. okay. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's about, because like, you know, we I have these reading goals like and stuff, but it's about the journey. Yeah. Not and it's about reading the, the books itself, not the amount of time it takes you. No. It's about enjoying what you read. <laughs> It's about loving yourself and enjoying life. Carpe diem, y'all. Mm-hmm. It's about self-care. It's about doing what you want. <laughs> uh. Well, Laura, no. so what did you choose as a full-grown adult, no longer in school? What did you choose to read these since we last oh. recorded? It wasn't a lot because Anna Karenina was, is, you know, taking its time for me. And I found, like, my new TV show love, The Librarians. Because of that, I had, you know, there's only so many hours in the day, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, no, that's totally true. I also have not been knocking them out of the park like I yeah. thought that I would one day right. when yeah, I read okay. one book a minute or something. Mm-hmm. Love yourself. It's okay. Yeah. I think last time I said that I finished Sing Unburied Sing. So based on this list, that means that since then I've <laughs> finished Cemetery Boys by Aiden Thomas, Interior Chinatown by Charles Yu for the second mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. And I was the of the Rye. But that's it. Nice. Um, what have you been reading? I have, um, it was Interior Chinatown by Charles Yu, of course. Loved it. Green Lights by Matthew McConaughey, which mm. was just, what? I don't know. I just learned more about Matthew McConaughey, what? so I guess that was nice. Okay. But I don't know. I don't know if I'd necessarily recommend it. Um, I Want to Be Where the Normal People Are by Rachel Bloom, and that's a celebrity memoir, and I would recommend that because it's really fun. And if you like Harry Potter... Um, and she does address, so she, she's a fan of Harry Potter and she addresses J.K. Rowling's, uh, you Mm. know, the scandal of J.K. Rowling in the book. And then she writes her own Harry Potter fan fiction and it's very entertaining. I listened to it, but even if you read it, I think they would still be good. Like I would recommend it. It was just an, an entertaining read. Um, and then Hidden Valley Road by Robert Kolker and then Redefining Realness by Janet Mock. I just finished that one. It's really good. It is about a trans woman. I liked it. That's what I'm going to say about that one. So, yeah. Okay. My, like, this is a pet peeve of mine is when it's like, oh, what is your, like, phone number? And it's like, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And I'm like, I need you to go a little slower. Can you say that again? And they're like, oh, sure. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Yeah. Or they're like, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And you're like, no. And they, like, don't Wait! slow down at all. They just, like, say it again. <laughs> well, if you are like us and you hate that, uh, we can mitigate that problem by having you contact us in the written form via email and Twitter. Right, Laura? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And if you want to email us, it's readingnotreading at gmail.com. That's spelled. This is my customer service word, guys. <laughs> R-E-A-D-I-N-G-N-O-T-R-E-A-D-I-N-G. At gmail.com. And our Twitter handle is rednotreadpod. With an at the front. Sorry, forgot. <laughs> yeah, don't even try and not at us. Yeah, you will not that succeed. One. And um, uh, we've mentioned it before, but we do have a bookshop. And I would say it's Ooh. doing pretty well. Like my I mom so ordered too. something from bookshop. <gasps> I was afraid she was going to. Okay, so I accidentally got like on our wish list. I had accidentally put language of blood on there but I forgot that I already had that book. So someone got me that book. And so now I have two copies of it. And then my mom was like, oh, I got you a book. It's about like 
a Korean adoptee. And I was like, oh, crap. Did I forget to remove it again? And I was afraid that I was going to have three copies of the same book, but it's a different book. But I was just like, am I going to have three copies of the same book? And now I don't really know what to do because I still have two copies and I really like them both. But obviously I don't need them both, but I don't know which one to give up. Anyways. Yeah. That's my whole story. That's Visit fair. our bookshop. Mm-hmm. Support, support us. Support we both said support us. Oh, oh my gosh. gosh. <laughs> oh. Uh, twinsies. Twins. Oh my God. Um... And then lastly, we do have a website as well. And that's where you can listen to our entire back catalog, access the links to our bookshop. Also, whatever. So yeah. visit that. That's all going to be in the episode description. But we did it. We made it to the end of February. And now it'll oh almost be a year until a year since quarantine. <laughs> yeah. So okay. we are, we hope you have a great Rest of this is technically the, our March episode. We so we hope you have a great end of March. Yeah, hope daylight savings times is uh over for you. Yeah, but join us at the end of next month, April, when we <gasps> read what book, Laura? Flowers for Algernon by Daniel Keys. Okay, so um, have a good time. March on. <laughs>